A slight change this week in what is a special Emerging Cricket podcast. Nick travelling all the way to Iceland on his move is going via the USA and has caught up with our American correspondent Nate Hayes to talk all things American cricket. I'll also be wrapping up all the news and the week that was in the Emerging game. But first, a shout out to our friends at Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Coming up, plenty to talk about in the Emerging world. As mentioned before, Nate and Nick Skinner will catch up to discuss all things American cricket. But first, a wrap of news from around the week in the emerging cricket world. The Netherlands and Zimbabwe punched their tickets for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup 2022 after seeing off the USA and PNG respectively in semi-finals of the ICC Men's T20 World Cup Qualifier B. Zimbabwe went on to win the tournament and will take on Ireland, Scotland and the West Indies in their first round group in Hobart. The Dutch head to Geelong, where they'll face Namibia, Sri Lanka and UAE. Meanwhile, qualification for the 2024 tournament has continued with the third European sub-regional tournament beginning in Finland. Ten teams meet for the final spot in the regional qualifier with favourites Guernsey headlining Group A. Josh Butler's side will face Austria, Bulgaria, Luxembourg and Slovenia, while the other group pits Czech Republic, Estonia, France, Norway and Switzerland. The top team of each group meet in the final for the European qualifier spot. Denmark claimed the first sub-regional tournament, with Italy claiming honours in the second sub-regional event. Nepal's League 2 campaign has been dealt another blow with head coach Pabudu Dasanayaka resigning to take up the head coach role of the Canadian men's team on the same day. Dasanayaka cited personal reasons for his resignation, taking the role to be closer to his family in North America. Canada, meanwhile, hosts the second leg of Challenge League A beginning on the 27th of July, though multiple sides have been met with visa drama ahead of the tournament. Former Zimbabwe international and current Danish head coach Keith Debangwa, as well as Danish players Gino Jojo and Monty Singh, have not been issued visas for travel as of Friday. Vanuatu all-rounder Patrick Matautava, currently turning out in Danish club cricket, is facing a similar headache with the crisis in Ukraine given as the reason for the roadblock. Scottish legend Kyle Kutzer has called time on an illustrious T20 international career. Playing 70 matches in the format and leading the side in 41 outings, Kutzer was at the helm for Scotland's Super 12 push at last year's World Cup in UAE. Kutzer will continue in the 50-over format on Scotland's League 2 campaign, with Richie Barrington having taken the captaincy. Attention turns to Europe on the pathway to the Under-19 Women's T20 World Cup. The Netherlands host Scotland for a best-of-three series from the 9th to the 11th of August. Earlier this month, Indonesia created history by qualifying for the event, beating Papua New Guinea in a thrilling 2-1 series win. After sharing the first two matches, the final match at the Udayana Cricket Ground came down to the final over. 18-year-old bowler Ayu Kuniotini possessed nerves of steel as she went into the final over with PNG, just needing two runs to win. Kuniotini picked up two wickets off the first two balls of the over and closed the game, booking her team a place in their first ever ICC World Cup at any level. An independent review into allegations of racism in Scottish cricket has found the governance and leadership of the sport to be institutionally racist. It also found that those who did raise issues were ignored or sidelined and a culture of racially aggravated microaggression was allowed to develop. The review highlighted 448 examples that demonstrated institutional racism. It was commissioned by Sports Scotland after a number of allegations were made last year. 
That's all the news in the Emerging game. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But up next, Nick catches up with Nate Hayes in North Carolina to talk all things American cricket. Welcome back to our listeners. This is Deep Point, an extra edition from the Emerging Cricket podcast where we look in depth at an issue that we didn't get time for on the main Friday show. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and this time we've done a special live recording with our USA correspondent, Nate Hayes, at Church Street Park in Morrisville, where we do a bit of a stock take of American cricket at the moment. Now, we did have a couple of technical problems, so please bear with the audio quality, which is a little below our usual standards. Uh, We apologize for that, but otherwise, enjoy the show. We're here at Church Street Park in Morrisville, watching the Morrisville Raptors train on a lovely, hot North Carolina evening in the summer. I'm here with, uh, with Nate Hayes, our USA correspondent. Welcome in, Nate. Hey, welcome to you, to North Carolina. How, do you, how are you liking it here so far? It's, I, I would liken it to a, uh, a, summer, a summer time in Brisbane, in the, the sort of sticky, hot weather. But uh, yeah, beautiful ground here. Some trees, a bit of a breeze, it's, it's not too bad. I think we talked before about what kind of Australian I would be if I was an Australian, so I guess that answers that. Uh. <laughs> You'd be a Queenslander, all right. Well, first of all, just I think we'll cover a few different things about the US and, and where they're kind of traveling at the moment, but to look at stuff on the field first, USA recently uh, bombed out of the qualifiers for the T20 World Cup. They made it to the semifinals, the knockout game against the Netherlands, but they, they couldn't get over the line. Uh, they looked promising early on, but, but really fizzled out in that match. And that kind of sums up their whole uh, performance at the tournament, really. They looked really good in their first few matches and then just couldn't quite pull it all together. And then they, they really hit their nadir against PNG in the third-place playoff, though. I mean, the third-place playoff in a, um, a two-team two qualifying tournament is a bit useless, so we don't need to hold that against them. But, uh, uh, you know, just looking kind of generally, how do you see the USA at those qualifiers, you know, I'm thinking of guys like Stephen Taylor and Monang Patel were really good at the top, uh, but there wasn't really a whole lot of support with the bat, and then the bowling kind of underwhelmed in general, really. So it was basically the Stephen Taylor show, and, and and they didn't they didn't really have enough depth. Yeah, that that was the, that was a problem. Obviously, there. I think you know maybe Stephen Taylor and Monang firing. Early in the tournament, especially, you know, I think they lost three wickets in the first two games altogether. So you've got two games into a into a pretty important tournament where your middle order hardly walked in the in the in the middle. That happens, you know. You still have to be able to bat, but uh, maybe that put them a little bit out of out of touch. Now they did play six warm up games before, uh, none of them T20I by the way, but they did play six warm up games before that. So there's plenty of time to, for everybody to get hot. But yeah, Steven Taylor, aside from him and Nassark, you know, nobody really stepped up too much. It was a little bit disappointing to see the youth not get called into the team when Ali got hurt, especially considering your two fastest bowlers, aside from Ali Khan, were the guys that were the most hit in the tournament. And their spinners were did, did extra well, and you had two youth spinners who can bat on your bench. You had Watzel Vigela, who actually opened the batting for the USA U19 team at one time and is, you know, one of the very best bowlers in the entire country at this for the last two years running. Uh, and then you have Yasser Mohammed, leg spinner, who has done well in every chance that he's gotten, and he continues to improve. 
So it was kind of disappointing to to not see them entered into the game, into that semifinal game. The semifinal game being the most important game of all. Well, we we can talk about the semifinal and um, the I guess controversial flying in of um, Divarapu Sivakumar, who has played under 19s cricket for India, but. Uh, that was, you know, a long time ago, over a decade ago, I think, and and he's been in okay form for you guys over in Morrisville. But you know, flying in in a guy who's kind of a bowler and then batting him in the top five ahead of guys like Jasper and Mahotra, and I don't know, it was just a very strange replacement for Ali Khan to fly him in, and it, it seems like it kind of it smacks of the the typical you know associate mindset of oh this guy played some full member cricket once he must be good and that's not necessarily the case because as, as you say you know Cameron Stevenson and, and Rusty Turon were among the worst bowlers and they're the, the two guys with probably the most full member experience out of the bowling unit yeah I think I think maybe maybe they might have been fatigued too uh Stevenson and Theron because you know you do play all those warm-up games to get to get everyone hot and obviously, the fast bowlers are going to be the ones that that suffer the most in in that sort of situation. With the you know, pretty it was pretty hot down there. But yeah, the the Shiva Kumar thing, I kind of have a slightly different point of view about it than 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 most people do. I thought the choice was strange. You know, last second notice, how many guys are you going to actually get to fly to Zimbabwe to maybe play one game? So he, we don't know what the depth chart is for for USA fast bowlers. So he might have been the the, the third option they could have called other guys ahead of him but let's just assume that he was the first option or they did choose him anyways we don't have to assume anything but they did choose him he did come down I was a little surprised that they did like I said considering the fast bowlers had been hit pretty well um, I guess maybe the thinking is he bowls maybe a little more like uh, Sorab Netravalkar but from the right side Sorab was excellent in the tournament as he as he tends to be they best economy right for any bowler he bowled more than three overs right and and I don't really have that big of a problem with taking him there as a bowler with taking Siva Kumar as a bowler but I would have taken him as a bowler with the understanding that hey you might not even get in a game because we're probably going to play Vatsalvig Hela or Yasser, Yasser Muhammad I, I felt like they should have I felt like they should have played those guys of course I tend to you know I tend to lean towards play the youth now anyways I mean, especially in this tournament where, yes, you absolutely want to get to a World Cup, especially ahead of we're, we're co-hosting one as of right now in 2024. And it would be great to have that World Cup experience going into hosting one, especially with guys that you know are going to be in the team next time. So you may as well get the experience to the younger fellas. I, I can't see and I can't see Watson not being in the... <laughs> Yeah, this is a public park, so the city owns it. So there's a playground nearby as well, which is which is really it's a beautiful place. But um, I can't see in in 2024 Vatsalvig not being in the USA setup. I mean, something dramatic would have to ha- happen for him not to be in the 14-person T20 World Cup team. He's just been a phenomenal in both formats, but especially the T20 format. So I I was shocked to see him not put into that game. Uh, and I think he was definitely mature enough to handle it. Um, but yeah, so the Steve Kumar thing, I don't have a problem with him being included in the team as a bowler, even though he's 32, even though he's a full member player. I don't really care. <laughs> I, um, I don't see too many eligible players ahead of him on the on like my own personal depth chart, I guess I would say. But you're and also you're not going to replace Ali Khan with 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 anybody in this country who's eligible to play for USA. You're not. You're just not going to. But I mean. Why, why replace him with a guy 
apparently is going to be batting at number five. That's the part I want to burrow in on. You brought him into the team. He's definitely more of a bowler than a batter. Even for the local Morrisville Raptors team, he is a performer for that team. He's he's one of the best players on the team, but he, he doesn't bat at number five. And he is a good batter, but he doesn't bat at number five, for, even for the Morrisville Raptors, you know, for whatever reason. One of those reasons being, I don't really think of him as an international number five, personally. However, in the biggest game in recent memory, or at the very least recent memory, you could argue that making it to clinching ODI status was bigger than this. But that was three years ago, so at least three years. Right. The most consequential game in at least three years, and you, you fly him down, he gets off the plane, and you bat him at number five, and that's not where he normally bats. I thought that was kind of a wild decision, I, especially when you had other guys behind him. Uh, Nisarg Patel, I personally think uh, the stats kind of speak for themselves about Nisarg. I believe Nisarg is probably a better one-day batter, or he's performed better in one day overall than he has in T20. And I think when you're entering someone in the number five in that situation, you can kind of play like like a like it's a one-day game for the for a couple of overs, get yourself in instead of. Nassarg always having to come in in the last like few overs and it's hit or miss at that time so I think he would have been the guy I would have turned to or even Jess Garin you know yeah that's that's the part I would I would burrow in on is why would you put Batham at number five and then you know you took you took Madani out of the team and Madani didn't really I mean he only got two innings to bat he didn't really have a whole lot of time in the middle so yeah I thought that was wild where, where do you see them going next? You know, there's some tri-series coming up, I think, in a couple of weeks' time. It's probably, you know, a bit lower intensity, but it's kind of, it's just as important, you know. World Cup qualification on the line, um, or, or I guess qualification to the World Cup qualifier. Um, and, and the U.S. Um, hasn't got a great win-loss record in that in that logjam of a points table. So, you know, what, what lessons do you think they can learn from this in, in terms of uh, you know going forward and trying to uh, I guess because in, in the T20 format you know they're um, they're automatically qualifying for the next World Cup so they don't need to worry about that so I guess they need to put all their focus on ODIs now uh, in, in the next couple of years with, with the, with the uh, League 2 underway yeah I, I don't know what lessons you can learn <laughs> from this I mean obviously it's just enough It's just another high-pressure game under your belt, really. I mean, when, even though you lost the game. So, you know, I really don't know. I think, I mean, Ali Khan is a very important member of that team. And, and uh, I think one of the things that makes, you know, for, a 14-man team kind of ex- interesting is you, if you do have an, an injury, you know, you have to fly somebody there. Uh, it, even with 14 players to choose from, you're 11 from, you're very limited with what you can do. You don't have a ton of flexibility. So I think... Maybe, um, I think maybe just more fast bowling all rounders. <laughs> well, that's that's hard to, you know, just uh, just conjure up out of nothing. Um, yeah, I guess my main comment would just be how important Stephen Taylor is, and you know, the fact he's back in form. You know, they were in with a chance against Zimbabwe as long as he was going, but then as soon as he got out, they just fell apart. And um, you know, if, if he'd managed to pull them across the line in that game, for example. You know, they, they, things could have been different in terms of, you know, they would have been playing uh, PNG in the semi-final, which, which would have probably been an easier game given PNG's struggles, you know, they beat the US. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's easy to say Ali Khan's important and you need more fastballers, but, yeah. It just, seemed, it just seems like there's always 
some strange decisions going on in, in the selection committee and, and in the like in the tactics. I don't, I don't know what it is, if it's something behind the scenes, or but it just never seems like the USA quite gets their best team on the field or, or all firing together. Yeah, and in retrospect, if, you, if you're going to lose the series anyways, load that team up with guys that are going to be there for 2024. You know, as Sushant Madani, if you're going to take him and bench him, that's kind of a waste of a spot because he's probably not going to be in the team in 2024 with his age. So, you know, these are lessons that we always seem to be needing to learn. <laughs> and when you take two young guys on the team and you just give them the token chance in the in the third place game at the end, and then they are, they turn out to be your best performers in that game, you know, you have an entire deflated team. They're probably the only two guys who are up for that game, you know, who are yeah. on, on, on top of it for that game. But still, you know, when you take them down there and that's the only token action they get, even after someone gets injured and your spinners are doing better than your fast bowlers and you don't put a spinner in, yeah, you know, I guess... Well, and then the fastball, you, you fly and only bowls one over? Only bowls one over anyways. Right. Exactly. Yeah, so that, that was the tough thing. And that put, and that's tough That's tough stuff also for... I do feel bad for Shiva Kumar. Um, I mean, I know the guy, so, so there's, that, there's that element to it. But I feel bad for him because we don't know if he's going to get another chance in, t- in the USA team now. You know, and maybe, maybe he could have had a decent run on the USA team, we'll, 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 we might never never know now because the impression people have of him is you just put him into bat in kind of a crazy situation, out of position just about, and in the toughest game in the, of the season. So yeah, I, feel, I feel bad for him for that reason. It's going to be tough for anybody just to justify him getting in the, in the team again now. Well, speaking of uh, lessons not learned and uh, bad decisions, uh, we can move on to the board elections. Uh, at the USA, uh, at USA Cricket, which have been sort of on and off for the last couple of years. They were supposed to happen... When were they supposed to happen? A long time ago, right? Um, they were supposed to happen in December of 2020. Right, yeah. So, basically, coming up to two years now that they've been overdue for board elections, and they're, they're, they're finally getting underway. Uh, but there's there's been a lot of uh, sort of strange internal tussles uh, in terms of I guess a lot of the, the kind of agenda seems to be the USAC-ACE uh, relationship, you know, their, their major partner who's in charge of the minor league and, and how that all fits together with American cricket. And there's there's just a lot of moving pieces here. So I was hoping you could kind of explain what the, kind of, the, the overall, you know, the, the lie of the land is with, with these elections. Well, the typical thing is that people are trying to get into a place that they want to be elected. So there's going to be a lot of complaints about the current board. And, you know, honestly, I mean, there there are plenty of things to find wrong with the board. There are plenty of justifiable complaints to make. But at the same time, sometimes we should be complaining about the things that can't a, a can be fixed and b are really are big problems. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. It's typical American politics kind of. You know, it's, it's like I'll be arguing with my dad and he'll tell me why he doesn't like Joe Biden or something. And I'll say, well, no, you're wrong. I don't like Joe Biden for this reason. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm just using that as an example. And you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> but, but you know. I, I think that's good because, I mean, American cricket is kind of this, this real microcosm of just American society in a lot of ways. And there's. Just all these kind of, you know, very entrepreneurial business guys who are always out there looking for a buck. Right. That's a very American attitude. And like lawsuits everywhere, and that's pretty American. And the, like, you know, bitter pol- political feuds is like, that's, that's, that's very American. So, I don't know, it's, it's funny. It's like a little mini-America going on there. Yeah, I, I think the, the, 
one of the interesting things is nobody's talking about getting cricket into the NCAA. No, none of these guys are saying, I'm going to get cricket in the NCAA. And that is progress. So <laughs> that used to be one of the things that the candidates would always say, not knowing about Title IX, not knowing about why cricket can't be in the NCAA, and not understanding that we we're actually closer to test status than we are to NCAA status. <laughs> so, you know, obviously for those who don't know, you can't just have an NCAA sport without having a women's version of that sport, and we don't have enough women cricketers in this. Sorry, that's, that's the National College Sports Association. Yeah, so you can't have a men's team and not have a women's team. Uh, we're not having a women's equivalent or an equal number of men's and women's teams. So it's easier now if, if a school adopted cricket as one of their NCAA sports, they'd have to drop uh, or they'd have to add a women's program of some kind, of some sport. So the easiest way to do it is to just have men's and women's cricket. We don't have enough women's cricketers of college age to, uh, and quality to justify <laughs> having even a, one single division of NCAA uh, women's cricket. So that's what's holding that back. So we've pounded that point home <laughs> enough. I think uh, Peter, myself, a few others have pounded that point home enough over the last couple of years that now nobody's touching that anymore. <laughs> but they've moved on to other things that maybe the layperson might think can be accomplished that can't be accomplished. And one of those things... Hold on, we're going to wait on the airplane. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there was some people who thought we should name the, the local minor league team like the Jets or something because of all the airplanes that fly overhead. I like that. I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, so that... <laughs> well, um, yeah, so now the, the big cry that that doesn't make any sense to me is the, oh, we have to renegotiate the ACE deal. We have to renegotiate the ACE deal. Anybody who's saying that to me is, that's just unrealistic. ACE, Major League Cricket, now has 70 plus million dollars that they've gotten from, from investors or, you know, at least 44 million that they have in hand from investors and, and you know, a total of 70 million promised, 77 million promised or something. And they're going to spend $120 million in the first year of Major League Cricket. So you're talking about a lot of people who have already invested in Major League Cricket under the, with the understanding of the terms of the, of the deal with USA as the way that they currently are now. And you think you're going to renegotiate that without like a serious major lawsuit, without absolutely bringing down USA Cricket entirely? That's what would happen if you tried to do that. It, they wouldn't be able to sustain the lawsuits that would, that would come their way. Like, it's honest to God. So, I mean, once Major League Cricket launches, it is going to be, uh, if, you want a, if you want a franchise cricket league to, to succeed here, it's going to get a lot more revenue than the USA national governing body possibly could. That's just the bottom line. It doesn't matter whose league it is. If, if, if it actually takes off in this country, it is instantly going to have way more buying power, way more money than the cricket board of the USA will ever have or probably even need. That's just the way things go. So a lot of people are unhappy because Major League, because USA Cricket's only going to get 5% of all revenues from Major League Cricket. But when you really look at it, 5% of all revenues from, from a major sport in the USA, that's going to be pretty good, hopefully. <laughs> that's if it succeeds. Well, and on the other hand, they're not on the hook for all of the losses if it doesn't succeed. Right. And Ace is putting up all the money to build the whole thing from scratch. Right. So, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like a, that bad a deal, honestly. It's, it's, it, really, it really isn't, I don't believe. And 
you know, there are people who who think, oh, well, how can you only give the USA board 5%, you know, because they, they believe USA board should be like the all-powerful thing. But you, you would really sub- substantially be holding back your ability to get investors if 10% of all of the money, revenue generated by this pro sport went to a national governing body. That doesn't happen in the USA. There, There's nothing like that in the USA where like a national governing body is going of a sport is going to get a big chunk of the top pro league. It just, it's impossible. And if they did, they would get more money than any of the franchises got. <laughs> like imagine if the USA baseball got 5% of uh, major league baseball's revenue, they would be basically be on par with the New York Yankees, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's just a crazy idea. Also, an, another funny thing to me is, yeah, like you said, they're taking the risk and they also have to build the entire infrastructure for the United States, for you, cricket in the USA. We talked about this a lot since you've been here. Um, we drove by a soccer field today, a group of soccer fields. That There's like 20-some field, fields at the soccer complex, and every one of them is, is pretty good quality, like fantastic quality. And there might be three cricket grounds in the USA that are as good a quality as any one of those soccer fields in that complex we saw. So we don't have an infrastructure here in the USA. They have to build that infrastructure. That is a really difficult thing to do. So with those things considered, it's hilarious to see challengers for board positions sharing the recent deal between the Indian investors slash owners in the new South African Franchise Cricket League. So, that, you know, Cricket South Africa sold those franchises for, you know, three, four, five million dollars each. And people are posting that online like like USA got sold short with Major League Cricket, but they had something to sell. <laughs> South Africa had had something to sell. They had franchises to sell. They had venues to sell. They have they have something there that's going to appeal to an investor that's you know, it's worth two million dollars. It's worth three million dollars. It does seem delusional to be putting uh, yeah, the American cricket scene on the on the same par as uh, <laughs> as South Africa in terms of a franchise league. Right. And so no, they didn't sell the they did not sell the league short. Nobody's going to give the USA board 15, 20 million, however many million dollars for the right to start a cricket league that they have to take all, all the risk for themselves. You know, that's just not going to happen. And anybody who's complaining that they didn't get that deal, I'd like to, them to like say, hey, we were going to give the NGP 5 million a year, you know? <laughs> like, if you can show me that, then sure, okay, I'll, I'll listen to you. So where does this leave the elections? You know, when, when are they being held? And, uh, how do, you, how do you see these candidates uh, running and, and um, you know, what are their chances? Well, they just wrapped up. There was, <laughs> there was heated debates, on, mostly on Facebook, in some, <laughs> in some niche uh, Facebook groups. There was a lot of mudslinging, uh, a lot of accusations, hints at accusations, very vague accusations that nobody wanted to like, fully go, go, on, go in on, uh, and a few more specific things. But, um, you know, I don't, really don't know how that's going to turn out. My own, the league I belong to, the Triangle Cricket League, the local league here in Morrisville, where we are right now, has the largest voting uh, membership in in the country for any league and even our own league's leadership were like yeah we're not going to endorse anybody <laughs> because there was just too much so many things accusations that sling around when you endorse somebody oh you must be getting this you must be you know it's really really ugly it's a really it's 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 really pathetic, to be honest. Honest, it's pretty disgusting. And when you look at the the candidates, there's very few inspiring things being said by any of them. 
you know, very few people are, are talking about the real issues in the country that really need to be addressed. Once again, much like American politics in general, <laughs> they're not talking about a lot of the real problems that absolutely need to be, need to be addressed. You know, you just see these vague generalizations like, oh, we need a robust national system. You know, okay, well, what's that look like to you? You know, so that's, that's, it, it's a really big problem. Um, there's kind of like alliances there that you can kind of sniff out where, you know, you have the anti-MLC crowd and then you have the pro-MLC crowd. And that's pretty much what it boils down to. That's pretty much where the big divisions are right now in reality, if you ask me. And you did. <laughs> so the elections just been held? Yeah, they've just been held. I, I, I'm not sure. I have to wait for USA's next announcement about when, when they'll be announced, I believe. So the results are still pending. Plenty of time to get some Dominion voting machines installed. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, I don't think it'll even take that. I don't even think it would, would even take that much. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, 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 questions of dubious legality, there there have been a number of lawsuits floating around this whole situation. Um, Ian Higgins was recently awarded a pretty sizable payout, uh, seemingly how it looks to our eyes at least, uh, seemingly paid off basically to avoid a lawsuit over his contract. Um, and uh, Richard Dome was also recently sued by a, a disgruntled ex-employee. So there's been a lot going on. Can you explain those ones? Oh, that's, that's, you're asking me a lot right there. The, the Ian Higgins one, apparently many in the board did not or are saying they did not know that there was kind of a verbal handshake agreement between Ian Higgins and um, Parag Marathi that Ian would get X amount of bonuses if he accomplished X uh, as a CEO. Now, those sort of things aren't unusual, obviously, for a CEO. But it, it is somewhat unusual that, there are, that half the board wouldn't know about that. <laughs> so he uh, apparently he, he wasn't beyond litigation, and it was recommended that USA pay him $300,000, which is going to come as a, an, as an advance on next year's monies given to USA by ACE, which ACE has to give them a certain minimum every year. This past year, it was $399,000. Um, they'll obviously sort out what it is next year, but it will be whatever it is minus $300,000 next year so that they can pay their former CEO $300,000. So that's that one. Once again, an airplane is coming over. Uh, the Richard Doan ordeal. This one's kind of interesting. This is Kirk Graves, who has worked with the CPL in the past. He was a contractor employed by... Well, he was a contractor hired by USA Cricket, is, is how they've put it to me. And he feels, and he has filed a lawsuit for discrimination, racial discrimination, for no longer working with USA. He, he believes that there's some f favoritism based on racial orientation, uh, why he's, he no longer works for USA. That one's interesting, you know, basically a disgruntled employee. Yeah, that, that one's tricky because USA has their yeah, there's an awful lot to... Oh my gosh, how do I explain this? Don't, yeah, don't, don't get us into legal trouble. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, that's the gist of that of that particular lawsuit. But uh, yeah, so speaking of Triangle Cricket League, um, a lot of people uh, would be aware of Morrisville being a, a stronghold of cricket in the US. And uh, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose a lot of moving parts, but 
What what overall do you think is the thing that really works for Triangle Cricket League and, and Morrisville area in terms of getting the cricket scene to, to kind of I don't know if uh, you know pulling together in the same direction that might be a bit optimistic, but certainly it seems to work a lot better than any of the other leagues. Well, I think the biggest ingredient is obviously this this ground, Church Street Park. That's the, that's a really big ingredient in terms of unifying people and it's inspiring people, motivating people. Um, I think that this ground has done a ton for this community. At the same time, before this ground even came around, the league was was big and growing. And this the biggest reason this league is growing is it's a very good tech area, uh, and it's a booming tech area. We have we have a Mac. Uh, headquarters that's going to be built here one of their headquarters and you know we're right next to a place called research triangle park which is one of the you know four or five best tech uh, areas in the whole country and we keep we actually north carolina actually recently was named the number one state that businesses want to move to in i don't know forbes or something like that so because of that we're getting a lot of tech people and when you get a lot of tech people you get a lot of asians (laughs) so a lot of south asians especially and Morrisville itself is a, a, a town of 20,000. You know, you know, I think sometimes maybe we oversell the smallness of the town because it is re- directly next to Raleigh and it is directly next to Durham. And you've seen how close those two areas are to Morrisville. So Morrisville is kind of just is a bedroom community, basically. And 20,000 people. It's a lovely town. But yeah. Oh, the lights just went up. See, there you go. So, so yeah, I think a lot of it is obviously we have a massive number of uh, South Asians here who love cricket and they want to play. And our league is always growing. Um, people are willing to drive an hour away to go play cricket because it's tough to it's tough to get enough grounds to sustain the league unless you go an hour away. Um, and people won't around here won't drive an hour to do just about anything else, but uh, they'll drive an hour to go play cricket. So, yeah, I think you've got a field like this, and, you know, there's only so many days this ground can be used. So if you're in the league, you only get to play here once a league, once a year. We have 2,400 people or so in the league. <laughs> it's a really big league. Not all of them are leather ball players. Our league is also includes hard tennis teams and leagues. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, not you can't play here very often. Actually, I play here once a year, and I hurt myself because I'm not used to wearing spikes. So I end up pulling my groin or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's the ground. People like to come here and watch, watch things. The youth, we have, an, we have a great youth program. Of USA's U19 men's team, 14-man team, three of those players are, are from this town right here or, or the neighboring town, Cary, but they play in TCL. So that's pretty impressive, and you've got to credit this ground with giving people that, you know the the inspiration and the imagination to to make the best out of things as much as we can now we, we're not without problems in this in our league we certainly have a lot of division we have a lot of politicization a lot of people trying to you know undermine each other uh, forming allegiances uh, these these things are really typical in American cricket and we are not immune to that here but when the Raptors play a game people come those people who were agreeing, disagreeing with each other and shouting each other are sitting on the other side of the ground from each other or whatever, but they're here. And if their game isn't happening, they're here watching the game, and that's really special, and I, you have to credit the ground for that. you got to, I mean, build it, they will come. We, we've talked a lot about, about Kevin Costner baseball movies this week, but if you build it, they will come isn't always true. If you build it in the right place, they will come.
and that's what Church Street Park essentially is. It's it's perfect. You saw how close it is to the airport. It's surrounded by communities where you can walk from you can walk to the ground from here. That's the biggest that's the crown jewel of this community as far as cricket is concerned and in my opinion the crown jewel of american cricket in general yeah so i guess on the, on the other side and looking at i mean this isn't the only place with a lot of you know subcontinental immigrants for example you know the the, um, the bay area which which has a minor league team and will also be getting a major league team obviously has a lot of uh, you know silicon valley tech workers and so it, it's not the unique ingredient. So I guess what are other places not doing right that, that is making the differential? Well, when you ask me that question, it makes me want to summarize about 10 years of Peter De La Pena. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, you know, I think a lot of the... It's, it's nothing against the communities, but if you look at the way cricket operates here versus the, the rest of the rest of the cricketing world it's very different it, oh there's a oh, oh oh sorry we just saw a, a pretty remarkable effort on the boundary <laughs> who was that i got i think that was spiky yeah i can't see I yeah i think that was spiky there yeah, sorry, we just saw a really nice effort at the boundary for a catch, toss back over, come back and catch. Whatever you call what do you call that? A one-man tandem catch. That's the kind of thing that is like, that's not even remarkable now. It's to the point where American under-19s kids are doing it. They're, and they, pra they practice it too. <laughs> no, but they actually took a couple of them last year at this ground. Yeah. So yeah, here's how American cricket works. This is And this is surprising to a lot of people. Uh, people that get here or people that have never been here but we don't really have cricket clubs where you maintain a ground and you have seven teams senior teams you know uh and you have a whole youth program in your club and you just have one ground or like a facility with two grounds or something and a clubhouse all these things that's not how american cricket works american cricket works it's basically like a house league in in ice hockey it's how all these leagues operate kind of like ice hockey house leagues where you get whatever grounds you can get you put a concrete or you know, astroturf or jute mat wicket down and the whole league uses the, those whatever grounds you can get and so nobody really takes care of the grounds you know the, they usually get these grounds from the city and they're grounds that aren't used for m many other things and if it's a ground that's not used for many other things it means it's not very good so it's going to have a lot of thick grass crab grass it's gonna be bumpy it's gonna be too small the grass is not gonna get cut all that often so it you're gonna have an astroturf so basically the the standard style of american cricket is astroturf wicket thick outfield uh so fast wicket thick outfield so everybody's trying to hit the ball in the air because that's how you score <laughs> runs if you do a perfect cover drive you know, you, you get a single out of it. So, the uh. You guys don't have any water by any chance here? No, man. I, nobody brought water for you guys? Where's Jonna at? Great question. Great question. <laughs> it's 8 It's 810. So, that, yeah, that's how cricket works in the USA. It's, it, it, and because of that. <laughs> You don't have you have people who take pride in their own cricket, not necessarily their club. 
Yeah, we've had situations here where some leagues, obviously, if you're renting the grounds from a city, uh, the city is much more likely to want to give those grounds to, to any youth programs that want to use them. So if you're not maintaining them well enough or you're, you're not picking up after yourself or you're not or you told them you had a youth program and you did have a youth program in order to get the, the ground and then your youth cram program either shuts down or you give them way fewer games than you're supposed to, the city will just take the ground back, of course. And that's happened a couple of, at least once in the USA, um, even after some, uh, some people were warned. So they called their bluff and they lost their grounds. And that means less cricket, you know, of course. But, uh, yeah, so, so I think we've always talked about the fact that a lot of people who come to this country, they're bigger fans of their home country cricket than they are of cricket in general. You know, so we, we have a lot of people, even here, who, you know, they're huge cricket fans, but they couldn't care less about USA. And, you know, and, and granted, it is difficult sometimes when you're used to a certain standard of full member cricket, watching it on TV, and then you go to watch associate cricket, even the biggest associate tournaments, the presentation is, or the quality of the stream, the quality of the, the signal oftentimes is pretty poor. You have to be a big fan. We talk about that a lot. We talk about that. But you really do have to want to see, want to know what's happening to pay close attention. Like, you have to be a big fan. So that's a challenge. We, we, that's a challenge all over the world as far as associate nations are concerned. Uh, usually in countries like this, it's the migrant population that supports the sport and they're always going to like their home team more and they're not really going to they're going to we just talked to a guy tonight who didn't even know usa had a team <laughs> and yeah they can and and he he you know that is at church street park which is known to be one of the best grounds in the country uh, and there was a guy who didn't even know that that usa had a team of course usa hasn't played here since 2018 uh which is a whole nother <laughs> whole nother problem but um yeah, you know, I think USA could engage these these uh, communities a little better. I would love it if they kind of engaged this community even more. People talk about why, you know, the question is, why don't we have more games here at Church Street Park? Why don't we have more USA games here? Well, the bottom line is, the, the answer to that is, Church Street Park is not an ODI ground. It is a T20 ground only for, for internationals. It is not approved for uh, ODI. It does not have, cha- uh, you know, permanent changing rooms. That's one of the things that's keeping it from being a ODI-sanctioned ground. So it can only host T20Is as far as internationals go. And USA has only played two non-ICC qualifier T20 internationals in the usa and they were played in december in fort lauderdale in lauder hill actually i should say so when you only play two of those ever well especially since let's just say since 2019 when you only play two home in uh t20 internationals that aren't icc pathway events and you don't know if you're going to ever host a usa uh, an icc you don't know if you're ever going to host an icc pathway event again or you don't know when you will. You probably will, but it, you might host two of those every 10 years. And so Church Street Park would have to get kind of lucky to have another USA game here unless USA starts playing more T20 internationals. And we talked earlier about how they lost down in Zimbabwe. They missed out on advancing. I think maybe one of those reasons is they've literally only played 
they've only had 21 T20 internationals scheduled since T20 international was extended to them in 2019 extended to all associates and of all the people of of all the teams in the qualifiers B of all the eight teams there USA has played the fewest T20 eyes since 2019 since January 1st 2019 and that's you know that's a big big issue and another thing is of course we have the qualifier A which happened months several months ago Canada was involved in those, and Canada has only played two more T20 internationals in that span of time. So this is a problem we both have, and it seems like we could provide each other the uh, the solution. You know, simply playing simply playing three T20 internationals every year as a, as as the Audi Cup. Well, I was going to say the Audi Cup's been dormant for a number of years now. It's been very dormant, and. It, it, <laughs> Simply playing three T20Is as the Audi Cup. Or five, seven, or like shove, you know, get as many in as Get as many as you can, but even if they only did three every year, that's nine more. And you could say, oh, nine, nine more T20Is in, in a three-year span, big deal. Well, that's 50% more than almost than they've played. So I don't know why you would, we would shy away from more T20Is. It's like classification has been extended to, to associate members, and a lot of them just simply aren't playing a lot of T20Is because it is expensive, you know, for the officials and all these other reasons. But, you know, it's not stopping some of the European teams like Germany. It's not stopping Uganda. It's not stopping Uganda from playing over 30 T20Is in that same span of time. It's it's pretty much stopping Philippines, USA, Canada, and Bahrain. <laughs> They're the ones that have played the fewest. So, yeah, that that's shameful to me. But, um, you, you know, that... that and that ties into, you know, community engagement. Uh, there, we would have a lot more USA fans here even. If, if The thing that's sustaining this community as fans of USA cricket are the U19 players that we have that, that are a part of the USA U19 team. And this is why people follow USA cricket in this community because we have players who we hope make it to the men's national team someday. And so that's why we follow it. But, you know, it would be nice to have more T20Is here at Church Street Park, where the lights have come up now, it's beautiful under the lights. You can see that. Well, and I guess talking about community involvement, one of the key ingredients in the success of Church Street Park and I guess uh, Morrisville Cricket more generally is the, the local council seems pretty supportive, which is a, a pretty important relationship to have in terms of both in terms of facilities and just general kind of administrative support. For example, you know the curator and, and various other things with scheduling. So. I guess, how does, how does that relationship develop in a way that is so fruitful for cricket? And, you know, what can other cricket leagues maybe do to try and, uh, you know, try and, try and build those links? Well, one thing they can do is, is bring their local council members down here <laughs> to see a minor league game or something, to see a, a game where we have one to 2,000 people show up on a, on a Saturday night or a Friday night under the lights, to see what a what a facility like this could do for a community like we have here that, that are, these communities are all all over the country you know new jersey has has a very high number of south asians and if they built a ground like church street park in new jersey you would have tons of people coming to minor league cricket games there there's very good cricket in the in that area and there are a lot of players that hope to make the usa team and hope to make the usa u19 team so those communities could point to this ground when they're trying to lobby support from town councils, they could they could point to this ground. They could they could use this as an example. If they want to get something like this done, it does take 
a tremendous amount of public investment. There's no question about it. Church Street Park wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the public investment, if it wasn't for the town council, and it, it, if it wasn't for the relationship with TCL and the town council. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately it's an excellent and rare example of a, of a community, of, of a local government kind of understanding what it's for. You know, serving its, it, this is a very democratic thing, building this ground, serving a, <laughs> right, right, small d, not, not Democrat, yeah, not party, but this is, it's democratic to build a ground for a people, for a large population in your, in your community, you know, you're saying, hey, look, oh, well, we're acknowledging this community here, we would like to have their votes, obviously, but we want to serve this, this community, uh, and, and I, I get that gist from the local town council here, from a lot of the members, that they do care, you know, um, local government is incredibly important and incredibly underappreciated in the USA. Well, that sounds like a almost an optimistic note there, Nate, to, uh, to, to end on, which is surprising for American cricket a lot of the time. Um, this, is, this has been a lovely time here sitting at uh, Church Street Park watching the Raptors train under the lights. Um, been, a, been a great evening. And, yeah, just really great to be here with you, Nate. Um, so good, good to pick your brain on American cricket and, uh, you know, where they're going and where they could be going if, if they manage to get their stuff together. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about this uh, even more on WhatsApp in the future. <laughs> so you'll be probably just as abreast of things as I am. On behalf of the team at Emerging Cricket, thanks for tuning in. And remember that you can, of course, subscribe in the usual audio apps for regular podcasts, keeping you up to date with news from all over the world of Emerging Cricket. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for loads more great content. Bye for now.